Hello, I'm Ken Hollings. And I'm Julia Meider. And we welcome you to the Bright Labyrinth. This is the third transmission in our series, and it's called Who Needs the Future? And I would like to remind you at this point that, as before, we are recording these things live and without any edits whatsoever. So if something goes wrong, we're going to leave it in so that you will be agog at our professionalism and how we get everything so effortlessly and faultlessly right. Isn't that correct, Julia? Yes. <laughs> so, Marshall McLuhan claimed that we glimpse the present through a rearview mirror. So as we drive backwards into the future, let's interrogate how communication practice has informed the concept of the future and how, in turn, the future itself has become a power communication medium. Uh, so if the medium is the message, Ken, then has it now left us behind? I think Marshall McLuhan, the, the uh, media theorist, would argue that the medium has always left us behind. Um, McLuhan is well known for this, this statement, the medium is the message, and it's, it's one of these sphinx-like riddles that has certainly fascinated people in the 60s and onwards, like what this term actually means. And perhaps during the course of this talk we can, or conversation, we can maybe examine some aspects of it. But I, I, I wanted to focus initially on an element of McLuhan's thinking which I find the most, um, how can I put it, destabilizing, the most subversive, and that is his attitude concerning what we consider to be the future. You know, I think he's arguing that it's very hard for us to uh, actually envisage the future because we're not actually looking at it. We're not, we, we think we are. And this is why he makes this famous statement about how we view the present through a rear view mirror. I think it's a really important uh, metaphor um, because what he's saying is that the, the, the present that we're inhabiting has already been influenced by things that we are not aware of. So in other words, they're outside our comprehension, they're outside our understanding. Mm -hmm. Technically, our understanding of them is in the future. So the medium, we're always lagging behind the medium yeah. because it's already affecting us and influencing us in ways that are, we're, not a, we're not fully aware of. And also time is always passing as well. So time is always passing. We're always somehow in the past. We are indeed. And, and, and you know, this, is, this is a question I like to pose. When, when does the future begin? When does it start? Is it next week? Is it tomorrow? Is it five minutes from now? Or is it when we finish this transmission? It's a very, when you look at it, it's a very nebulous concept. And it's one that is, and I use the word advisedly, carefully, it's a very modern concept, the idea of the future. Uh, in the sense that I, I think the further you go back, two centuries, three centuries, the less you're going to find people even considering it. You know, certainly if you go back to, you know, uh, sort of 2,000, 3,000 years ago, they're not interested in the future. As far as they're concerned, the world is what it is and it's not going to change. You know, the ancient Greeks had this great, this great phrase that meant, you know, under the gaze of eternity. This is how we value, this is how we judge things. Mm -hmm. Subspecie eternitatis. It's like, which of course is Latin, not Greek, but you know where I'm going with this. Um, you know, this idea that, 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 that things don't actually change that much, uh, that really, even, even in the sort of early Christian tradition, there's the beginning of the world, which took seven days, and then there's the second coming when Christ comes and, you know, everybody out the pool, the apocalypse. You know, the, the, those are really the only two things that they're, that they're concerned about. Um, yeah. 
And so again, future, what does the future mean? Future means the end of the world. It doesn't mean anything more. Whereas as you, as you creep into the age of enlightenment, when you creep into the age of, of, of reason and of uh, industry and of productivity and division of labor, suddenly the future becomes this projection you know, I think it's interesting that quite often you 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 hear about financial markets, companies that talk about their projections into the future, these kind of financial plans or predictions that they make. Uh, but really, they're basing what they're giving you is a portrait of what's happening now, not what's actually going to happen in the future. And this, I think, is true of all um, science fiction films. It's one of the things I love about science fiction films is that they always, always, always give you the most perfect accurate depiction of the age in which they were made. I think to look at a science fiction movie and say, like for example, particularly this, we, we, we're recording these transmissions in, in 2019, which is one of the great tricks of technology. We can pretend we did them ages ago, but we didn't. Um, you know, this is 2019, and this is the year in which Blade Runner is supposed to have been yeah. set. This is the year when Akira is supposed to have, have taken place. You know, 2019, Neo-Tokyo is about to explode. Uh, Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger, set in 2019. So we have these three depictions of our year, the year we're talking in now, which bear no relationship whatsoever <laughs> to what we're doing. But we don't mind, because what it really will tell you is about America in the late 80s, um, Japan in that same era, and again with Running Man, America in the late 80s. So what you're actually getting is a picture of a, uh, the beginnings yeah. of a kind of post-industrial uh, collapse, which we're still living through, but you get a good portrait over there. So, I think you know McLuhan's um, subversive point is that um, we're we're constantly dealing with something that has already happened, but we're assuming that it hasn't quite reached us yet. But in fact, it has. Uh, there's a lovely quote of his which I love, uh, which is it was in a letter to someone. He said, uh, "This is how I prof prophesy." I look around at the effects and say, well, the causes will be here soon. So in other words, you know, when, when, when you read some kind of heartfelt, anguished piece of writing about what the cell phone, the smartphone's doing to you, it's already done it. It's already yeah. done it. It's not what it's going to do, what will happen. It's happened. You're, you are already being rewired by that device. Um, so this is, this is something to always bear in mind. I think, and I think it's particularly important for us as... Uh, communication practitioners um, that we create environments um, premises objects speculations propositions which challenge the assumptions of the present mm -hmm. that we think we know where we're going we think we know where we've come from we know where we are you know that that rearview mirror is also a bit of a, a, a blinder as well um, and, and it speaks about progress, uh, very strongly about progress. Um, McLuhan's very, very good with these, a bit like, uh, bit like our friend Nietzsche, he's very good at, the, at the, the compressed aphorism. You know, he's very much speaking to an age who wants a message really quickly, and they want it really simply, and they want it now. Yeah. And so when he says, you know, the, the full statement is, um, you know, we view the present through a rearview mirror we march backwards into the future. It's such a perfect yeah, statement. Yeah. I mean, the metaphor itself, the metaphor itself actually moves backwards in time. So he starts off with the image of the rearview mirror, which we associate with cars. 
cars and motorways. To, to see something in the rear view mirror, you particularly would be driving on a long straight road, like a yeah. highway or a motorway. That's the, that's the medium he's talking about. Um, so we're talking about what's coming up behind us, or what appears to be coming up behind us. It's not going to work very well on a windy English <laughs> country lane. Um, but then he says, we march backwards into the future. This bit's beautiful. You know, we've gone from driving to marching. And marching is something that we do in lockstep. You know, we, we all yeah. march to the same beat. We, we move our legs in time with each other. Uh, but also, who did that? Who else did that on long, straight roads? The Romans. You know, he's, he's talking about progress as a kind of invasion, as a kind of uh, imposition of law and order and structure and, uh, in, in a sense, colonialism yeah. uh, in its own way, empire, imperialism. So... It's a very, very loaded, densely wadded statement that, that, that we're looking at here. And this is why I, you know, I recommend people go back to McLuhan again and again for all his reactionary uh, background. For all, you know, there's, there's a lot of things which are uh, iffy, to say the least, about McLuhan. Um, but I think in terms of someone who, who gives you a jolt and, and really kind of stretches you and, and displaces you and gets you to look at where you are, uh, he's he's absolutely irreplaceable in that sense. Yeah, well, yeah. I probably feel like I've let's, taken let's us in the wrong direction. Um, no, I, I think I think it's also so important when you realize that things in in history and and every old patterns repeat themselves somehow. This concept also of everything being compressed and being kind of wanted now, and I think also nowadays there's this generation kind of super people. Mm. that we're expected to be simplicity is actually really hard to obtain and to use simplicity it, is the hardest thing yeah. of all and there's this great quote I think it's from Leonardo da Vinci mm. uh, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication yes and there's and so many very, you know, so there's hard. so many variants on that I, I mean I was yeah. like um, did he really say that? there's also a question well he never said it to me so uh, I don't well. know <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I'm sure he said that to yeah. me the other day yeah <laughs> But yeah, well, I don't know. I forgot to send him a Christmas card this ah. year. So I, um, but I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's that wonderful quote from, from Oscar Wilde, which appears in at least one of his plays, which is, um, you know, never mock the simple things. They're the last refuge of the complex. Yeah. Which, um, as, as is usually the case with an aphorism, there's a, there's, there's a certain amount of um, flim-flam, but there's a little bit of truth in it as well. Um, Yes, I mean, I'm just quickly to go back, what you were saying about the idea of um, things repeating or recurring, themselves, uh, recurring, I don't think that there is some kind of vast, it's not, that's not how time structures itself, and that's not, it's not like that's something external to us that's happening and we're just being driven along by it. I think that this sense, our sense of repetition is the fact that we constantly have to... Um, explain and understand what's happening now in terms of the past and yeah. we have a very good example of it right in front of us uh, which is the the laptops that we're using yeah um, the fact that <laughs> <laughs> um, the laptops that we're using where you find that the icons on your toolbar are all previously existing devices of one kind or another. You know, there's the, there's the waste paper basket. There is the, for some reason, the floppy disk. Who, oh, yeah, saves, yeah, anything? Who yeah. saves anything on a floppy oh, disk yeah. now? You know, to which someone else would probably reply, yeah, well, if you've seen the icon for writing a tweet is a quill pen. 
excuse me. Yeah, so, yeah, so nice. you know, yeah. you see paintbrushes, you see slide rules, you see filing cabinets, you see folders. Um, so, you know, this, this amazing device, which could have taken any shape or any form, really, um, but is essentially a typewriter and a, and a television set sort of rammed together, and this is their ungodly spawn. Um, you know, and, and, but what's interesting is that the actual, the, the, the architecture of, of the computer, the laptop, uh, as, as explained or demonstrated by, by Alan Turing, is, is this kind of, uh, you know, universal machine that can actually be adapted to do anything. So it's, you know, the universal machine is all machines, um, and at the same time it's no machine at all, it's just a conceptual piece of architecture. Yeah. Um, but in order for us to use it, in order for us to interact with it, we have to present it in terms of old pieces of technology with which we are familiar and with which we are comfortable. Uh, and that's, I think, one mm -hmm. of the, you know, you, you were also talking about this idea of super beings or, you know, the, 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 where, where, does, where does progress lead? Because in a sense, this, the, the, this way in which we look at history and the way in which we look at the future is informed by this concept of progress, which, again, I would think is a completely alien concept to anyone, um, you know, past the 1700s, if that. Um, I don't think that progress would be a kind of meaningless thing to them. What do you mean? It's just a new device. Whereas we, we now see it as being something that's so intimately and intricately involved in our life. It's so much a part of how we produce and consume things that we assume that progress itself is a universal law, and it isn't. It's just it's just the little fold of history that we're caught in, and you know I think we it's not like I'm trying to destroy the idea of progress, but I am asking people to question what this means, mm -hmm. not in terms of its outcome, not in terms of whether it, what what's good or bad about it, but just how it structures our experience, and that's what I again to go back to McLuhan. This is what I like about him. In the end, he's constantly asking, how is this changing the way you're looking at the world? How is this changing the way in which you are physically perceiving this world? And each other, and how you're using language, and you know, we think we're we, you know we think we're very much in control of our own minds and our and our speech and our gestures, but we're not, not really, um, and that's that's really I think where the the, the, the theme, this is where this lecture is leading, um, and and I think these are important questions for uh, anyone who 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 wants to work in the field of, of uh, communication design and yeah. communication practice. Indeed, yeah. Yes, are we should done? We? Yes, are we I done? think, yeah. should we wrap it? Yeah, let's, let's wrap let's this thing. Wrap this. Um, in the next transmission, um, which will be coming <laughs> along very soon, um, and the title of which I have... Yeah. It's, it's right here in front of me on this laptop screen that I wasn't looking at. Next week, next week, next transmission, Julia and I, are going to be looking at uh, sound art, the phonograph, and the physiology of audio space in a little something we like to call, there must be something wrong with this Sally. And yes, so we're going to end this with... Um, the sounds of the future! Ray guns!